Because Lauren severely injured herself. I couldn't walk for a few days. Yeah. I can walk now. I was limping for a while, but I'm I'm back slowly recovering. I'm getting yeah. better. Good. I um what did I do? I have a bulge disc in my back. Yeah. That yeah, so that kept me off my feet for a little while. So I will just say, everybody, look, it was actually genuinely an experience to remind myself to like listen to my body and not um. feel like you need to just keep like pushing through mm-hmm. like because we're all busy. Yeah. Um, it was all... the old, slow down, Lauren. Just yeah. slow down. My the, body all was... this disc, it's going to bulge. It's literally my body telling me. <laughs> That's what it was saying. You accepted too many contracts at the same time. Yeah. And you need to stay in bed for a Just whole day. Reel that back yeah. in. Yeah. I had to take one whole day off of work, which I haven't done. In a long in, time? I think literally about eight years. I haven't called in sick for about eight years, I think. Uh-huh. Well, That's we're sorry that we're sorry so, that Lauren's bulging, yeah. bulging disc, yeah. which I desperately want to say something else, but I won't. We're sorry that Lauren's bulging disc meant that we had to skip our last episode, but... We're back on track. To make things more exciting, yeah. we're, we're coming back with the bang because we've got our first official interview today yes. of season two. Because actually, well, this is both the first official interview of season two, but it's also the first in what we hope will be a... Uh, a series? a series of interviews with women that we think are rad and dare we say deviant and we do mean that in the, the nicest possible way that's right and so should we walk it are we ready to welcome our yeah guests? we're ready yeah we're yeah ready? we're ready yeah yeah do we, what do we do do we need something special should we do a, we need music like a drummer or should we should we do an announcement song it's an interview <laughs> it's an interview with Marco McGovern much for having me on long Sorry, time listener first yeah. time caller oh, all right. Sorry, you had to just sit there quietly while we just did all of that shit <laughs> it was slightly awkward yeah but we're up to it now so Margo... welcome <laughs> so we're very excited to have Margot with us today uh, Margot is a debut novelist new work Neverland was released in just in April of this year yes yeah Pe- uh, Penguin Random House we hope House. that's correct yep April yep. 2nd this year <laughs> yep. yes yes um, came out with Penguin Random House uh, just in April and we were actually along at the launch and that's what inspired us to get Margot on the show because yeah. We were fascinated by a lot of the discussion around this novel. Particularly, there were some points about characterization and, and female characterization in mm. particular that we really thought was something that we wanted to, to take apart more yep. and we wanted to sit down and talk about today. So, so we will get to that. But before we get to that, 
Would you do us the honour of just giving us a little bit of a spiel about Neverland? Right, yes. I'm still honing my elevator pitch. I've I've had about five years and it's still not great. So basically Neverland is a young adult novel and it's kind of a dark twist on the traditional boarding school story. It's narrated by 17-year-old Kit Learmonth who is struggling to come to terms with some pretty traumatic things that have happened in her past. She has grown up on an island with her parents and her family owns this little island. Her dad is a writer and throughout her childhood he's sort of told her these fantastical stories of mermaids and pirates and selkies and sea monsters and witches that inhabit the island. Then when Kit is 10, her parents are drowned in a sailing accident and she is then looked after by her uncle Doc who turns the island into a boarding school for teenagers with mental illness. Kit goes to the mainland for most of her high school years and is at a boarding school there but then partway through year 12 she tries to take her own life and Doc brings her back to the island to get treatment under the supervision of his colleague Dr Hannah Ward. But back on the island, Kit finds distractions uh, in her friends. They have, you know, midnight parties in the lighthouse. There's a sailing competition coming up. There's a new boy called Rowan on the island who she thinks is a bit of all right. (laughs) But at the same time, the fantastical creatures that her dad told her stories about, she's finding them harder and harder to find and in their place there's some really scary things that have come to inhabit the island. Mm. So, yeah, for our our listeners out there, as you can see, a lot of our favourite things <laughs> are included in this story. Um, obviously, you know, this idea, this mythical world is a fascinating mm. one, but mixing it in with much more of a contemporary feel and also mixing it in with, as you said, these issues around mental illness and mental health and especially because, you know, we say YA, but of course it's it's a book that anyone of any age can read. YA doesn't mean, you know, only certain people can read it. But I guess when we do talk about YA here in Australia, we have a pretty solid kind of love Oz YA community. We do. We yes. do. And it is actually community. hashtag love. It is hashtag love, love Oz YA. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I think that it's interesting, the community that's kind of grown up around the YA stuff that's out there at the moment, I guess is really asking for YA that speaks to issues that are you know, happening to people now and especially happening to, you know, young adults now. So mental health and mental illness is definitely one of those sorts of things. So is there kind of a growing trend, do you think, with a lot of this YA fiction to kind of broach these kind of topics that I often, I suppose, we like to try to keep young adults or Mm. teenagers away from perhaps? Yeah, I think... It's a tricky one because people are very divided about whether or not this stuff should be included in YA. I obviously think that it should be because they've written a book with it in there. Um, My take on it is really that these are things that teenagers deal with so we should include it in stories for them because otherwise you're shutting down conversations Mm. and sort of putting things away in the dark and Mm. it's like it doesn't make the issue go away, it just means you can't talk about it. And particularly with stuff like mental health and mental illness, you know, it was something I felt growing up we didn't really talk about. Like we didn't have, I I certainly didn't have the language to talk about that sort of thing. So I think it's good that now we are having these discussions. But that said, I think the context in which we put it in stories is really important. Well, this is actually something I wanted to ask you about because Kit, she's a really like kind of feisty, interesting character who really knows herself. But like you said, she does have this traumatic history and I don't know if this is a spoiler or not, but she does kind of, you know, have this history of self-harm 
and suicide attempt. And yes. something I was wondering when I was reading it is the way that you actually deal with this issue as an author is finding that ground between not moral because the novel doesn't moralize a- about it at all, which no. I found really excellent refreshing. and refreshing. Yeah. yeah, that it's not like pointing this finger and being like, you know, don't so far, that's really bad. Um, yeah, but it's also you. I guess something you've got to balance because you also don't want to glamorize. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, it's really difficult yeah. to do that because going back to what we were talking about before, there are people out there who are like, we shouldn't put this stuff in stories because it will encourage teenagers yeah. to self-harm or to have think about suicide. And yeah, so context is very important and it is really tricky because my protagonist is, you know, she does self-harm in the story and she is thinking about these things. And obviously when she's doing these things to herself, she thinks that these are the best solutions. So it's trying to include little clues for the reader, a cues for the reader to say, no, this is actually mm. a really bad idea. Yeah. Um, yeah. And for me, I mean, there's a few different ways that I kind of did that. Like, first of all, all the the teenagers who are dealing with mental illness, they are all getting treatment as well. So that was important. It's sort sure, of, yeah. and it was sort of, it's sort of recognized in the story that they are on the island because they are dealing with these things. Yeah. And I tr- I've tried in the book when Kit does self harm to sort of show that she is quite desperate when she does it. And it doesn't solve anything. Mm. So mm. that was quite important as well. It doesn't actually make her feel better. So even though it takes her a really long time to see that what she's doing is harmful, I'm hoping that there are enough cues in there that the reader can see actually this is not helping her and she's actively pushing away the resources she has that, that could yeah. really help yeah. her. But I felt at the same time as well, it's not demonising mm, no. people who do self-harm at the same time. It's much more that, as you say, you know, these are characters who are, they're actively getting help. They're actively, yeah. you know, seeking ways to deal with these difficult issues. And I think what it does is it, it acknowledges that these are things that people genuinely go through. Yeah. And therefore, you know, you're not a bad person for going through this or for self-harming or whatever, but it's, it is actually showing that, you know, finding a way through is what these characters are doing. And so it kind of almost acts as a as for anybody that might actually have those sorts of issues, it's a way of seeing yourself reflected mm. but also seeing yourself reflected in a positive way where it's like, yeah. yes, this is stuff that can be dealt with and worked through. Yeah. So I think yeah. I thought that that was, like, really beautiful, the way that you actually do do that throughout the novel was wonderful. Thank you. <laughs> but also at the same time, so talking about, Kit in this light as well. Something else about Kit particularly, you know, she is complex and difficult. And <laughs> this, and this, but this was actually something yeah. that the launch. Well, this is, yeah, sorry. This is like, like yeah. I want to interrupt you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Be like, this was the most, so we were, like we said, we were at your launch and you were yeah. having a, a wonderful, amazing conversation and we were listening and you did say this line about Kit is unlikable. Yeah. But... She is unlikable in that, like this sort of this word is applied to yeah. female, female protagonists. Yes. Whereas unlikable male protagonists tend to be complicated, yeah. like Holden Caulfield or Harry Potter. And that was the moment where I kind of like, I just like we looked nudged, at each other and we nudged like, yeah. was like, we need to talk to Margot about this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> to be fair, I think it was actually my agent Danielle Binks who used those specific oh, that's why examples. I'm sorry. But yeah, it's. Yeah. 
that is a big thing and it's something that I am now because I've been asked quite a few times about Kit and her unlikability it's something I've become very conscious of yeah. that because mm. you know, like disclosure I really liked Kit and I think maybe maybe would you yeah. actually just firstly do you want to tell us for some context because you know a lot of our listeners probably haven't read the book yes like who is Kit and what, you know, what is her personality like and why is she so... Because she is a really, really fascinating, deep, complex character. Mm. Yeah, she's a bit of a brat. Yeah. <laughs> Everything aside, she's a brat. She's had quite a, a different kind of life. Um, in some ways, a very privileged life. So her family are very wealthy. They own this small island. Well, yeah, they own, yeah, they own an yeah. island. So yeah, doing all right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. so... And, people in her family have kind of been quite notorious as well like she has you know I think sort of one of her great ancestors was a pirate and you know another one was a politician and one was like a really famous surfer and her dad is a famous author so yeah her family are known I guess in in the sort of public sphere a little bit and that was something I wanted to play with but I'm going to get off track if I go there (laughs) (laughs) Um, we could come back we might come back to that yeah so she has grown up on this island, she really hasn't left the island much until her parents pass away when she's 10. So she hasn't grown up with the internet. She hasn't grown up with TV. She hasn't grown up with kids her own age. It's really her parents. And in the summer, they throw big parties for all of their friends. Mm. So that's really been her experience. And her connections with the outside world have mostly been through books, but Mm. they're mostly the books that her dad really likes. So a lot of them are quite old books and stuff. And so she... She doesn't really have a lot of pop cultural knowledge. She's got a lot of sort of literary yep. knowledge, which gives her a bit of a different worldview. She mm. she's a bit pretentious. Yeah, <laughs> and her father is an author as yeah. well. Yeah, yeah. So she sort of like often just like randomly quotes like I don't know like nineteenth century poets. Yeah. Like, that's just a thing, yeah. um, which was really fun. But then also I think because she didn't really mix with other people her own age until she was older she hasn't really learned to sort of be a good friend to people yeah. and to consider other people really so she's quite self-centered so even though she's very sure of who she is as a person she's not very good at interacting yeah. with other people but you know on the flip side she doesn't really feel peer pressure in the way that a lot of people would I guess mm. so she's very much quite selfish wants her own way doesn't really understand any different to that and you know as a consequence can be quite prickly but also because of the the trauma that she's experienced as a kid which I can't really go into because spoilers but that really she's been left quite vulnerable because of that and the way she deals with that is to be very defensive and prickly and Mm. to push away anyone who tries to sort of you know get too personal with her. Because I think you, you said she's a bit selfish, and she is. Like she, she is. is. She is. And, but I guess that this is what kind of plays into that idea of that unlikability. But to me, I find that at what point did we decide that likability is a prerequisite for a protagonist? You know, like yeah, and especially for a female protagonist because you know a teenage and a, protagonist, and a teenage exactly. protagonist. <laughs> because yeah, I mean those examples that Lauren mentioned before of those kind of teenage male protagonists. I mean they're jerks. They're, yeah. They're, yeah, they're basically jerks. Yeah, but you know we we hold them up on these particular pedestals. But uh, it does seem Harry in the Order of the Phoenix was the worst though. <laughs> he fell off a pedestal yeah. for me then. Oh yeah, he he went through some stuff. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Sorry. But it does it does seem like likability is a prerequisite for female protagonists. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and I think that that's a really old tradition as it well. It is. Yeah. yeah. And it's something that applies in real life and not just in yes. books. Yes. Yeah. And because I imagine that when you were writing Kit, and I mean, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, I imagine that you set out to write a character who you thought was believable and, you know, rounded and a fully fleshed out, complicated human being. I don't imagine you sat down and thought, I'm going to write a really unlikable <laughs> protagonist. And yeah, I no, think, it did not enter my head exactly. that she had to be likable or, you know, specifically unlikable. Yeah. It just wasn't a criteria. And I think that this is just, this is it, is when we, we want to portray real, genuine, rounded people, mm. they're not always going to be likable. Because they're Aspe- flawed. Because they're flawed, yeah. and especially teenage girls. Yeah. You know, yeah. teenage girls are going to... And boys, of course, as well. But there's always going to be those moments of selfishness, those yeah. moments of you know of conceit. And I think that that's actually it's really interesting that this was what something that came up at the launch. And I really have never sort of heard that label applied to yeah. male protagonists. Before. Yeah, yeah. And I'd never thought about it until there's been quite a lot of discussion in the Lavozzo YA community this year about this exact thing. Right. And once it started, I was like, oh. Yeah, I've just, yeah. I've never thought about yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, but reviewers do. And they, they, like, I think a lot of readers really like a quote-unquote unlikable mm. female protagonist, but there are some reviewers and quite vocal reviewers who will really, like, mark down the whole book because they don't really? agree with the protagonist's moral choices. <laughs> and the big one is having the protagonist cheat on their yeah. love interest which Kit does, so yeah, <laughs> in trouble. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that like that when I was writing the book, that wasn't something that I was really considering. Do you think that this is also a trend that's changing though? Because, like you said, this is a reason. It's like the, the awareness of this trend, or the way that people have kind of perceived these books has only recently sort of just been like, oh, hang on a minute, we're doing a thing here. Yeah. yeah. Like, do you think it's changing the way that people review or the people that people write these kinds of characters? Yeah, I know that when I was pitching the book, one of the reasons my agent, Danielle Binks, really liked it was because Kit is a, not because she was unlikable, but because she is a complex and difficult mm character and she is challenging and you kind of do have to do a bit of work to kind of get on board with her and my publishers as well felt that that was a strength of the manuscript Mm. so and certainly there are lots of other YA novels where there are unlike a quote-unquote I I just want to put unlikable in quote marks you know that is the thing so I think publishers seem to quite like it is the impression that Mm. I get from talking Mm. to my publisher and my agent certainly when she puts a call out for manuscripts one of the things she talks about is having these complex characters Mm. and a lot of reviewers do really like them as well but then yeah there there are others who really don't and or I've also found that there are reviewers who will say that they want all of this sort of thing but then when it comes to actually reading the books they're very resistant to it so it's interesting it's kind of in a way we're making progress and let's like yeah this is great but then at the same time there's also I mean with as with anything there are people who are saying actually no we don't want this yeah I wonder if that also has something to do with the level of how much as a reader, you like to project yourself into a novel. Yeah. And if a character is actually too fully rounded, then it kind of becomes difficult for you to imprint yourself into that role or into that adventure. And because Kit has adventures. 
Yes, and she's she grown up on this island having adventures and she is an explorer and she is an adventurer. And so I suppose perhaps, you know, that kind of does limit you then stepping into those shoes. But that's also interesting though because what I found about reading Kit is that it is actually more a moment of familiarity with some of those decisions that she makes that aren't the right decisions. And you're like, no, I totally get why you chose to like – blow off this thing and you know yeah. and go to the lighthouse instead or or why you were tempted by mm. you know the other person and yeah. it's like oh because you're a human and I'm a human and yeah humans can be selfish <laughs> and this is this the the way that the world is yeah yeah totally and I think <laughs> I think it really depends what you're reading for as well and I think actually one of the other things I will say is I think a lot of the readers who have a problem with these kind of characters in YA in particular, they're not the teenagers. Mm. It's because, I mean, we know that YA is read by a huge spectrum of people. And I think, I can't remember who I've had this conversation with, but I think it was on Twitter (laughs) (laughs) with other authors, but I, I couldn't quote it. I think as we get further away from our teen years, we do tend to romanticize them Mm -hmm. quite a lot. And maybe, think that you know we were maybe better people than we were during that time and so I think there are some readers who technically have aged out if you know to put it one way of the readership but are still reading YA and they're projecting what they want the teenage experience to be and they want a rosier Mm. picture of it whereas I think the teens that are actually going through that, from the feedback I've had, they seem to really connect with like characters making bad decisions and making mistakes and being flawed and not being defined by those mistakes and being able to go back and fix Mm. them. And you've had a a fabulous response from that particular crowd as well, like that love Oz YA. Yeah. It's been a wonderful response. This is... I should probably say none of this is me being upset about reviews because I've read very few <laughs> reviews. I'm trying to not, like, I don't go on Goodreads. So this is all stuff I've seen in relation to just Osway in general. It's not me being upset because someone can never land a bad review. So when I was a kid, like, yeah. I was always drawn to these stories of adventures and voyage and discovery. And I had these really weird, and I now understand them to be like very kind of problematically colonial (laughs) ideas about like getting on a ship and discovering a land. And like, you know, I had those as well. (laughs) We can understand from our more mature point of views that these are problematic, but nevertheless, it was that call to adventure, call to like transforming an island and having a settlement. And it didn't occur to me until I was probably in my kind of getting into my early teens that all of these stories were male stories. Yeah. Yeah. And and it didn't really, I don't think it bothered me when I was a kid, but I then became very suddenly self-conscious of the fact that these stories were all about boys having these adventures and the only girl really who had adventures, I don't know, do you guys know that book series, What Katie Did? I've heard of it, but I haven't read it. So what Katie did is basically Katie is a a fun, flamboyant, adventurous girl, and then she hurts herself, and she's – like, it's bed rest, right? She's got to recover. And it's having been forced to be taken from the outside world into the safe domestic 
home that is her rightful space and there she learns manners and she learns what it is to be a proper girl and like she sounds, she sounds pretty likable that's the, <laughs> yes exactly she turns from this like adventurous free-spirited girl into a likable placid girl and that's right. the girl story yeah. that's held up against these stories like right, yeah. Huck Finn and whatever. Yeah. So for someone like Kit, you know, obviously the the myths that this story is based, like a lot of the myths that she comes back to yeah. are male myths. Mm. Yes, they Peter are. Pan, the yeah. Odyssey. Yeah. The Great Gatsby's in there. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yep. Treasure Island. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Although on that though, I do have to say that Peter Pan is also a girl's adventure as well. And I do think of Wendy, and I do Wendy, think of yeah. I do think of Dorothy, and I do think of Alice. I do just want to say as girls that, that have adventures. Wendy in Peter Pan is the mother to the yes, boys. Yes, she, she is. She is. <laughs> so she, she does. She is. She does. She does. She's doing their fucking washing. I was going to say she does. <laughs> I'm like making sure they take yeah. medicine and she stuff. Does. She's she not in like cleaning sewing. their little house. She does do a lot of sewing. <laughs> she does. Yeah. Um, no, true, very true. But yeah, as an underlying, because obviously the novel's called Neverland. So as an underlying story that. Yeah, that kind of boy's own adventure, I suppose, yeah. kind of yeah. does come to play into that. Or? It really does. And, like, that was quite deliberate, I think. You know, one of the things I sort of – I didn't realise I was doing it at first and then it became a conscious thing is all the stories that Kit draws on to tell her story, there's quite a lot of intertextuality in this mm. book. All of the stories that she draws on are by male authors and mostly about men but what she does is she takes those stories and makes them her own yes yeah so that was something I wanted to do and like her learning to tell her own story and also I'm just kind of interested in that idea of you know women often being left out of history Mm -hmm. and stuff and part of what happens in the book is her dad has written a book called Kingdom by the Sea which is a reference to the Edgar Allan Poe poem Annabelle Lee and this book that he's written is a semi-autobiographical account of his family's life on the island and Kit has kind of taken that as the truth and what happened and what she realizes as she spends more time on the island at 17 is that he's left out a lot of stuff Mm. or changed a lot of things and she and her mother appear very differently in the book to how they were in real life and part of what she has to do in order to sort of confront her past and be able to find a way forwards is to really go back and challenge these stories that Mm -hmm. she has grown up on and go hang on the women are misrepresented in yep. these stories. Yep. And what what was the real story there? Feminist revisionist mythology. <laughs> <laughs> it's a favourite topic. <laughs> yeah. It's but, a favourite thing. But that I think that is so important to think about the ways that these myths can be recreated and that they can be applied. For, yeah. The, the girls can find a way to put themselves into these stories or to make these stories theirs. Yeah, yeah. And can I just make a book recommendation? Yes, yes, please. <laughs> oh, yes, so please. I'm currently reading Circe by Madeline Miller. Oh, oh I yes. just finished it. It oh, is my God. so good. Yes, and it's, it, is. it takes all of these myths that, you know, we so often hear from the male point of view, including the Odyssey, and it's retold from Circe's point of view. Yeah. And you get this completely different picture of how yeah. all of those myths went down. Yeah, totally. It's, and so that, it's so good. <laughs> that, that actually does lead me into another question as well, because yep. I was going to say, do you think there's a trend in YA or in Australian YA in particular to bring in more of a female voice? Yes, I think so. It's it's a tricky one because it is one of the few industries that are quite 
female dominated and a lot of the authors working in Australia are women Mm. but it's still we have problems with it because there was an article I think published in the ABC by the ABC earlier this year talking about how there was nothing for boys and mm. maybe and oh this is so it made me so furious. <laughs> you guys can't see this, but Margot's face just suddenly just did this contraction. The, yeah. the what whoever, a boys to read. whoever wrote this article, they'd spent some time at like an exclusive boys' school, and the conclusion they'd come to is we needed to get some serious writers like Richard Flanagan to write some YA so that boys would have some YA to read. This did not go down well <laughs> in the Osweya community. Mm. And Lily Wilkinson wrote a really amazing response to it. I think it was in Overland maybe, but basically pointing out that <laughs> there's a lot of good YA out there. And part of the issue is because a lot of the protagonists are female, mm. they say this isn't suitable for boys mm. and it's we need to shift that thinking yeah. to be like yes. actually – Boys can read stories that have girls in them. (laughs) Because girls read stories with boys in them. And for some reason, this is still an issue. So I've forgotten what the actual question was. (laughs) I just wanted to, oh, are there like more female protagonists? I think we're starting to see a greater diversity of female protagonists, Mm. maybe. Like we still have a long way to go in terms of increasing the diversity in YA, but we are starting to look at different stories Mm. and different voices so and that's something that the community in terms of like the readers the bloggers the teachers librarians are asking for is we don't just want the story of you know the perfect role models who kind of maybe come up against some you know easy-ish challenges and get over them and they've got all the resources they need we want to hear some different stories so Mm. and what a ridiculous thing to think that boys can't read stories where there's a female protagonist because sorry like just what a totally ridiculous concept because this is this uh, this concept of like wanting to see yourself represented yeah yeah boys are very very accustomed to seeing themselves represented in a range of media whereas girls are less accustomed to seeing and a huge range of other minorities are less accustomed to seeing themselves represented and so they learn how to adapt the stories yeah. that don't look like them and find the thing that's relevant to them. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. yeah. boys don't have to do that as often. Yeah. So they're not, they don't know how, they don't have the tools. No. For like, oh, how do I have empathy for a character who doesn't look exactly like me? Yeah. yeah. But who I might be able to find something in any way. Yeah. 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 And that's probably actually what's so important about having a range of diverse characters yeah. anyway. Yeah. Because, you know, you and don't yeah, need having to be... To, LGBT to read a YA novel no. with an LGBTQI mm. character either. Yeah, you know, actually, maybe you should. Maybe read. you should. Yeah, yeah and I, well, that's part of it as well. It's kind of it's the dual thing of like a greater diversity of people need to be able to see themselves in the stories, but also we all need to be able to read stories about characters we don't immediately identify mm, yeah. with because that helps us be more empathetic and compassionate and to look for the other person's point of view before just kind of, I think particularly at the moment because the media is so geared towards everything being like us versus them, you've got to pick a side. And I think fiction is really great because you get to spend a few hours in someone else's shoes. Yeah, so that's important. Yeah. Are there any other novels or authors about at the moment that you could recommend? So Cersei definitely... Yes. And that's Madeline Miller, by the way. Madeline Miller. It's not YA, though. There's some quite graphic stuff in there. (laughs) Just want to put that out there. There is so much 
excellent YA out at the moment. Like, and there's so much of it that I want to read that I know is amazing that I haven't read yet. Yeah. So I kind of feel like I can name a few books and there's going to be 50 more that yeah. I don't name. For like really awesome female protagonists, I would recommend Take Three Girls by Simone Howell, Kath Crowley and Fiona Woods. Ooh. It is it is amazing. It's this book about it's three different girls who all go to the same school but are not friends. They get put together for this assignment and they have to start working together and they've all got kind of their own things going on in their lives. But there's this kind of almost gossip girl thing going on where there's this like blog where people from their brother's school are saying really awful things about all kinds of girls at their school. And so they all sort of get involved in that. And yeah, basically the Mm. girls start to become friends over the course of the book. And it's just... I don't know how to describe it properly, but it's just amazing and everyone needs to read Sounds it. amazing, yeah. So that I would highly, highly recommend. And anything by those three authors, that's Kath Crowley, Simone Howell and Fiona Wood, just amazing. I would also recommend... Oh, it's so hard. Um, <laughs> the Centre of My Everything by Elaine Webster, yes. who's another Adelaide author. That book has some really unlikable characters in it who go through some really heavy stuff and come out very different at the end right. of the book. And I've been meaning to read that. Yeah, actually. it is. Yeah. It's a hard hitting one. Take but Three it, Girls it, was on my list. Mm. Yeah. yeah. So I'll put that one on too. Yes. Tin Heart by Siobhan Plaza, her second one, and also her first one, Frankie, if you haven't read that, is amazing. Uh, they're both really good. I haven't read it yet, but Amelia Westlake by Erin Goff, it sounds incredible. It's kind of like a, it's set in an all-girls school and there's kind of, it's like a heist kind of plot, I think. Oh, wow. It's like, yeah, it sounds amazing. <laughs> really fun. So I'm looking forward to reading that. Oh, well, just for Ozwaye, if people want an introduction to that, Begin and Begin, the Love Ozwaye anthology edited by Danielle Binks oh, yes. is amazing. It's 10 short stories by 10 of our like superstar authors. And it's just the stories in that, they're all really different, but all incredible. Cannot recommend it highly enough. If you're looking for something just really fun, The Illuminae Files by Amy Kaufman oh, and Jay yes. Christoph. That's just massive. Oh, super yeah. fun. Yeah. yeah. Oh, gosh. Now I need to go back to my list. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if you've never read Marlena Marchetta, you, you have to. Uh, looking for Love Randy. Is there any Australian of our generation who hasn't read? Well, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. But yeah, like... Her stuff is amazing. I think also Kath Crowley's Words in Deep Blue, I have to give a special shout out to that. That is absolutely fantastic. And now I'm just naming books that I enjoy. Mm-hmm. So maybe we'll move on. Yeah, okay. Because <laughs> we could be here all night. Yeah, probably. Maybe we can have like, we can get like a Twitter list from you or something yeah, to I'll, share. I'll do up like a proper list. Yes. I also was wondering, because you kind of, this kind of comes back to something that we were talking about before. Yeah. Like particularly when you mentioned the, like the three girls. Take three girls. Oh yeah, take yeah. three girls. Yes. Yeah. Is, and this is another thing that I really loved in Neverland is the way that you depict female friendship because Gypsy is another really interesting female character and her relationship with Kit is also very interesting. (laughs) They fight a lot. Yes, (laughs) yes, exactly. Like especially, I don't know, there's something about being a teenage girl and teenage female friendships are very strange unique beautiful but sometimes very destructive things and very intense very intense things yes and they can be as intense as like a love affair oh yeah you spend so much time with that person yeah it's just like it's full-on and romance the the pain of a female friendship gone badly stays with and perhaps scars you for 
your entire adult life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Right. It certainly can. But I think like female friendships as opposed to, you know, heterosexual relationships yeah. tend to be not as represented. Well, they're often in books, but they're not like at the forefront of what people think about when they think about particular texts. But I think that they're probably more interesting to me often than the yeah. romances. I think that is something that we are starting to see more of in Oswaye as well, this focus on female friendships Mm. which is fantastic yes because yeah they are they are special and different to the other kinds of relationships and even different from the friendships you have as an adult with women I think yeah I put a lot of thought into Kit and Gypsy's relationship and it changed a lot every draft as well like I was constantly going back and revising that they're very different people I think and Gypsy has a lot of patience for Kit. I should probably explain maybe a bit about yeah, yeah, Gypsy's yeah. character. So she she is on the island because she has anorexia. She is dating a guy who is, I'd call him like a D-grade celebrity. Yeah. <laughs> he's kind of like, he's on like a soap sort of show and he thinks he's amazing. And we never sort of meet him in the book, but you get this kind of impression that he is very controlling of her and putting her down a lot there's probably quite a lot of emotional abuse going on there and gypsy sort of is starting to realize that that's the case but she also is really struggling to embrace that and move on from him and so she's quite a hopeless romantic in a way that kit just really isn't yeah and so yeah the two of them they kind of they have very different views about a lot of things but they really support each other or try to. Gypsy supports yeah. Kit. Kit yeah. doesn't really come to the party. Um, she tries, but I think, you know, Kit's way of dealing with things is to kind of deflect and hide from things and kind of create fantastical stories to avoid dealing with things. And probably one of my favourite scenes in the book is when Gypsy calls her on that and yeah. says, no, I actually need to start dealing with my stuff and yeah. so do you, which Kit doesn't deal with particularly well. So, Because I think a key part of the relationship that we see between them is that at times, yes, at times they let each other down or maybe one more than the other in certain regards, but they also there's that level of honesty between them as well, yeah. which is so sort of key, I think, in those female friendships is that that's the only person that's really going to call you out yeah. As is the situation here. But there's also another level to the, to the world that functions on this island as well because it's not just the teenagers that are there. They're also there to get help. So we also have the adults that are around them yeah. as well. So there's also these relationships that function around them. And for Kit, she has her relationship particularly with Dr. Ward, Dr. Hannah Ward. So that's yeah. a, a really interesting one as well because this is also another female relationship that functions and functions in a very different way because I think Dr. Ward is a really interesting character in and of herself as yeah. well because she's actually kind of cool. Like she's got these really <laughs> cool elements to her. You know, she's a therapist, she's a professional, but yeah. she's also kind of in a way a friend too yeah yeah she is and she i think because kid has been back to the island on and off over the last seven years and so hannah knows kit a bit more personally than probably her other patients as well and is a bit more invested and because hannah is really obviously good friends with kit's uncle doc as well there's a bit more of an investment there but yeah the relationship between hannah and kit is 
it, there is a bit of a like a, almost like a big sister sort mm, of relationship yeah, definitely there and it's you know I think Hannah would like to be really personable with her but at the same time she knows that she has to pull back but she can also be really honest with Kit and she's one of the few people who really she and Gypsy are the only ones who really can call Kit on her bullshit mm. yeah I think you've made a really good point with the fact that Kit is really only ever honest with the women around yeah, her <laughs> even like her uncle Doc who she has also a very complicated relationship yeah. with she needs to get to a point where she can be honest yeah, with him but it takes her a long it takes time. a really long time and she couldn't do it without Hannah Hannah's really helping her with that so yeah she really without sort of realizing it she really relies on these women and she probably trusts the women around her a lot more than the men there are sort of there are three main guys in Kit's life I guess yeah. there's her uncle Doc there's Rowan who she has like a romantic sort of relationship with and there's her friend Alastair who she also has a bit of romance stuff going on with but yeah it's it's very surface level with him she thinks that she's in love with Rowan but I don't think she ever really trusts him and yeah Doc she's sort of working on that but with the women even though she fights with them a lot she does actually trust them mm. I think all those mm. all those relationships between the women are actually the ones that drew me yeah, in definitely. and onwards throughout the entire novel. Yeah, and there's also Kit's relationship with her mother, which we never meet her mum, but mm. um, Kit sort of has this perception of what that relationship was and it's not really until right at the end of the book that she realises that she was misled about yeah. who her mother was and she sort of realised that there was a missed opportunity there yeah. and I think like that's something that's not super resolved in the book because the book sort of ends at a place where some things are resolved and some things aren't I mm. guess but we, we can't give away too much no without spoilers <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. so before we finish up let's just go back to this idea about unlikability yeah mm. again in inverted in yeah. yes. quotes because this was the whole thing that kind of drove us wanting to have this conversation yeah. with you in the first place. Yes, yeah. definitely. And about this idea of, as you were saying before to us as well, about how unlikable can you get? How unlikable can you go? Yeah. So. So. <laughs> story. <laughs> <laughs> so Neverland is my first published book, but it's not the first book that I've written. For Which my- is also probably, we should just say, for anyone who is an aspiring writer, it's probably important for them to hear that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Look, most <laughs> of us have got manuscripts in the drawer <laughs> yeah. somewhere. Don't lose hope. Yeah. yeah. You can spend five years writing a book and nothing can happen yeah. to it. <laughs> On that, don't get discouraged by that. Like, yes, you've put a lot of work into stuff that you've done, but... That work actually helps your next It's all project. training. Yeah. So don't give up. Yes. <laughs> so, the, so the first novel that's in the drawer. <laughs> yes, the first novel that's in the drawer was a novel I wrote as part of my PhD. And it's sort of like a campus crime sort of novel. Which sounds awesome. It does though. sound awesome. Except <laughs> <laughs> the protagonist, her name's Lucy. She is like... If Kit is unlikable, she is just, she's monstrous. Right. <laughs> oh, there's a yeah, word. Yeah, I dropped that one. I don't know, maybe we're, just, maybe we're just like really biased towards monstrous women. Yeah. yeah. We Bring just, them on. Yeah. We love them. Yeah. yeah. Apparently not, Apparently everyone, not everyone does. And I think, <laughs> unfortunately, in that manuscript, part of the reason it didn't sell and I don't, and particularly would not sell now, is she is too unlikable and too manipulative and I think probably most importantly she doesn't regret any of the stuff she does she makes a lot of really awful mistakes and she kind of acknowledges that she made some mistakes but she doesn't want to change anything and so I think 
part of the whole unlikability thing is you can do it. And something I was, I wasn't conscious of the unlikability stuff in Neverland, but I was thinking about can people relate to this character? Mm. And I think you do have to have something there that helps the reader connect to the character. And Kit does redeem herself. And I was very conscious of that and like how far can I push this before she's just too horrible Mm -hmm. and, you know, while it may be fun to plot something where you've got a character doing awful things, and it does work in some context, but I think for a young adult novel that is character-focused, if you don't have that sort of that humanity that you can kind of connect to, it makes it really, really... Mm. difficult that's interesting i wonder yeah. why people don't want to read about women yeah. doing bad things yes and just being bad just people being bad yeah. i mean there, there are some really good adult novels where you have female characters who don't redeem themselves yeah. but i think i think that is harder to get away with in ya because yeah. i think there is kind of an expectation that if the characters won't be role models, at least they'll kind of, they're working towards being yeah. better people. There has, I think there has to be that transition in YA. There has to be a lot of the time that coming of age, sort of the character comes to a realization that actually I've made some mistakes. Whereas in mm. adult fiction, you don't really yeah. have to do that. Yeah. So, Do you think that that's also part of a particular a political climate that we're in now? Do you see that maybe there'll be a reverse of this in the future? Like, I think we're sort of, progressing like looking back on the books that I read as a teenager the young female protagonists in those books and I'm thinking of like Josie Alibrandi and mm. Ellie Linton in Tomorrow When the War Began they were role models yeah you know? like they faced some really difficult stuff but they, they dealt with it yeah in a really mature yep. kind of yep. amazing way like we all wish we could be a bit more like yeah. those people I think but one of the great things I think that's happening now is we've kind of we're moving beyond that to okay well now we've got the role models now we can also have other characters who are maybe not getting to that yeah. point and who are making mistakes and failing and who are more real yep. realistic i mean not that those characters aren't realistic they're super realistic but we can have characters who are flawed and who are still stumbling along and i'm hoping that the next iteration of that is that we can have characters who don't but I think it's harder to do because I think as an author you've got to show really be very careful to show the reader that this person is awful and Mm. not redeeming themselves yeah they're not a role model yeah they're not a role model (laughs) they are Um, awful and it's yeah they're they're awful because it's it's sometimes it's just interesting to read yeah (laughs) yeah and I think that it, it is harder in YA to do that. It, yeah. would, it would kind of be cool if we could get away with it, but you you are writing for primarily a younger audience mm. and stuff, and so you have to be aware of, am I showing this character, mm. you know, correctly? Yeah, yeah. but yeah. set of expectations is entirely different, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, I mean, you don't want to be writing stuff that's, you know, really didactic and, you know, teaching a moral lesson, but I think you do still have to have an awareness yeah. of... How is this character coming across? And could it be perceived as a role model when it shouldn't be and stuff? So I think you've got to have those cues to sort of help the reader there a bit. Mm. And before we wrap up. Yes. What are you working on now? Oh, dear. Where to next? So you've Uh, taken the world by storm with Neverland. Yeah. Um, (laughs) No. But I'm working on a... It's sort of like a YA fantasy, I guess I would call it. It has, like Neverland, it has some roots in Greek mythology. But 
I'm doing very little because I have a nine-month-old yeah. baby. <laughs> yeah. So working on is kind of like maybe 200 words here and there. Yeah, yeah. So it might take a while before there is a manuscript <laughs> there. Well, we look forward to it. Because Neverland, beautiful book, you should get your hands on it. If you're not in Australia, you can still buy it online. Book Depository. Hooray. Yes. If you are in Australia, you can go out to your local bookshop, local book retailer, pick up a copy. (laughs) And it's also got a really beautiful colour. It's really gorgeous. Did you decide if you're going to get one of these? Sorry. Just for anyone who, who, like, there's a lot of, like, sort of images, motifs from the book. Selkies and mermaids and Um, Yeah, all stuff that's in the book. Are you going to get any of those? any of those tattooed upon yourself? I have talked about this. I really want to, but I'm nervous. (laughs) My parents are super conservative and I think like I may be excommunicated from the family. So yeah. But it is beautiful. Yes, it is. If anyone else needs inspiration. I love it enough that I would tattoo it on my skin. Beautiful. Well, it is wonderful. And it's been wonderful having you along to talk to us. So yes. thank you very much for um, taking your time away from a busy, busy schedule. Yes, thank you. And, and a baby. Yeah. And also, I just want to say congratulations on finishing a book and having a baby at the same time. That would have been the That's most deviant. motivating, That's pretty the most motivating yeah. deadline ever. It, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't recommend that as yeah. a strategy but, to anyone who's thinking well of it. done. Thank you. Good job. And thank you for having me. Oh, it's been our pleasure. And thank you for those out there in podcast listening land for <laughs> coming on another journey with us. What? Was that not a full sentence? No, no, it's fine. <laughs> and as always, if you enjoyed the podcast, then there are a bunch of ways you can support us. You can follow us on Twitter or Facebook or now Instagram. We are at DeviantWomen. You can also find us on iTunes and Stitcher and TuneIn and SoundCloud and all those podcast thingy madoobies of choice. Please leave us a review because we love reviews. If you do want to get in contact, please send us an email at deviantwomenpodcast at gmail.com. If you have any uh, recommendations for YA fiction with uh, female protagonists, you should let us know. Yeah, tweet us. Tweet at us. That would be great. Yeah. If you would like to support us with your cashola, then that would be great. And you can do that on Patreon. Sign up for some exclusive content. Or you can buy some merch on Etsy. Check it out. T-shirts, stickers, pins. Anything that you could ever want. Oh, well, only those three things. <laughs> so thank you, Margot, once again. Thank and you for me. Thanks. And thank you to India Hui for the music and Brendan Davies for the sound. Bye. Bye. Bye.